You know, we're going to pick it up here because I have a lot to cover in about 30 minutes and 33 seconds. It says this here, Genesis 16, verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Um, So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. I know, Chris, it's good. It's already good. It's, it's good out the gate. It's, oh, my God, this is good out the gate. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. And so we believe historically that when Abram and Sarai were in Egypt, they acquired Hagar as a servant, maybe some six or seven years prior to this moment. And um, she, she got on board with their family and she's been serving the household. But Sarai is, she's in this place where, where she feels like, man, what's going on, God? So this is her idea. And I was, at a, I was at lunch with my wife this week talking about this message. And I'm like, can you believe what I have to cover this week in church? And uh, I talked about how Sarai has this amazing idea for Abram <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to get with Hagar. I said, can you believe that? She said, yeah, I can believe it. And I said, I said the man of God, she said, yeah, he, he took an opportunity. So, <laughs> so I said, okay, you, you're kind of right about that. But this is a man of God. This is a woman of God. And, it, and that's what I talk about, the realness of it. I love it. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, verse 4, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. (laughs) We're not in a relationship series, so we're going to keep moving. (laughs) This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. I put my (laughs) She said, this is all your fault. I put my There's so much in here. I can do a whole year on this. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. (laughs) Abram replied, look, I got a headache. Tired. She's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. I mean, someone say woman of God. This is the mother of faith. You know, she's bugging out, you know. But that's one thing I love about the Lord. He uses broken vessels um, such as Sarai, Abram, you and I to get his purpose done. And, you know, many of us, we want leaders that are Jesus himself. But I often question, do we really read Jesus? Right. You know, what, what were we talking about, uh, all leaders? Who was that all leaders? Uh, Jesus talking about cutting people into pieces and all that. You know, see, you, see, uh, see how quiet it got? Because like, you got Instagram Jesus and you got Jesus Jesus, you know what I mean? And so we often look for, or, or some of you, you're Christian and some of your family or friends will judge you and say, but you can't say that. Or do. I thought you were a Christian. 
but they forget that you are human. All right, cool. So Abram replied, look, she's your servant. Do whatever she, so then verse six, she ran away. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress. Uh, where have you come from? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Mm. Wow. That's deep. Yeah. Then he added, here it is, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. I love it that God is so gracious that even when we feel shortchanged and we've been wrong, he still hears our cries. He sees what it is you're going through. He understands your distress, and he still has a great promise for every single life in this room. We're going to skip down to verse 15. It says this, So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. So um, I got a lot of space to cover, and so let's get to it. Abram has shared God's promise with Sarai up until this point. Um, because a man can't have a child alone. He needs a woman. He, he needs his wife. So the promise that God gave Abram in Genesis 12, he's actually going to bring to pass through Sarai. And um, she has an amazing calling. She doesn't know how amazing her calling is. That calling is still at work today as we sit in this room and as many billions of Christians attend some form of church together on this day. Um, it started with a woman named Sarai, and she plays a huge role on the world stage. Um, but up until this point, this is so important to identify. God has not spoken to her yet. God has only spoken to her husband. Um, once again, we can spend a lot of time on a lot of stuff in this story, but there are some seasons where God will speak to you, but there are other seasons where your life is divinely attached to someone and you're called to trust their faith when you can't hear or see what God is doing. And that's a part of her issue, too. The trust in her husband has ran very low because he continues to say, we're, we're going to have this kid. God, God has told me. God has shown me. God has shown me how big this thing is going to be. We're going to have this child. But time, someone say time. time. It's been a, almost 11 years since Abram started sharing this great promise about us having this child. Have you ever been um, kind of uh, encouraged or have you ever gotten excited about something that someone else planned for you? But they're like, hey, but it's, it's, uh, we're going to do it next month. I promise we're going we're gonna to go. It's going to be awesome and it's going to be amazing. A month comes and then they push it back again another month. It's like, hey, give me some more time. I'm setting it up. It's, it's going to be good. Another month comes, and then it's like, we're going to do it next summer, okay? But just <laughs> something came up again, and, you know, it's going to happen. And then before you know it, it's been a couple years. That's what Sarai is going through. It's like every single month her husband is going to God, praying, offering sacrifices, giving a tenth to Melchizedek. He, he's doing all these things, all these faith things, but she has yet to see the tangible promise of God come to pass in her life. It's taking too long for God to move. 
And so here's this week's question. How do I respond when God is taking too long? How do I respond when God is taking too long? Right? Because we would all agree that the greater the promise, the greater the desire. Right? Like, God's promised you after, after church, you're going to get some lunch. That's cool. We get lunch every day. I'm hungry, but it ain't all that big of a deal. I know I'm going to eat. But if it's like something like out there that you can't do without God, something that he's laid on your heart, right? That desire is greater than lunch after church. It is, it's mega. It, it's, it's amazing. But this thing called time, when it, when it goes on, the Bible says that a dream deferred makes the heart sick. So the more you got to wait on it, the more you become kind of sick about it. You know what I mean? And so desire unfiltered by the word of God and by the spirit of God can mature into desperation. It can mature into desperation. And so today's title is this. It's God is taking too long. God's taking too long. That's today's title. We're going to deal with God taking too long to come through. And so we're going to deal with a thread. I just, I love it because if you just read it, it it kind of, it teaches itself. There's something in the story. We're going to pull out three points and we're just going to enter ourselves into what it is that Abram and Sarai are going through. Okay, so I got three points today on God's taking too long. The first thing we see in the text is Sarai's desperation. We see Sarai. She's tripping out. Someone say she's tripping. She's tripping. tripping. We all trip. It says this here. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And this is the part that blows my mind. The man of God, the father of my faith. <laughs> it says this, and Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. So Sarai, <laughs> Abram's wife took, hey, you can laugh. It's funny. You need to loosen the rest of them up. This is good. <laughs> like, I'll be at home tripping on this. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as his wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Despair, despair, which is the prefix of desperation. Despair is a feeling of hopelessness. Like, and I feel like when we're waiting on something to happen, we we can begin to feel like it's it's slipping or it's not going to ever happen. And that... That could be true a lot of times, but it's slipping. It's this feeling of of hopelessness. Despair matures into desperation, which is a state of hopelessness that leads to reckless behavior. And this is what Sarai is operating in. She's she's reckless and reckless isn't always like, you know, tossing furniture or throwing stuff at people or cussing people out. But 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 sometimes desperation um, Desperation reveals itself through passivity, through like a lackluster kind of spirit, like uh, because you either give up 
or you're straight up just reckless. Like you don't care. No one better say anything to me. Life sucks. Life always suck. All men suck. All women suck. Whatever. Right. Or it's just, I don't care. It's either one of the two you can pick up on if you've gotten desperate. And so she's conniving. She's, uh, she's having these plans. And this is another thing I've identified, Crazy, is that desperation and manipulation are best friends. So whenever you become desperate, part of being reckless is you begin to manipulate situations and people and organizations. A lot of people plant themselves in churches, not for the... Not for the, you know, the, the purpose of moving it forward or growing in their faith, but to, to manipulate people within the church. It's called the Jezebel spirit. It's a spirit of oppression that causes you to manipulate when you've gotten desperate for something. And so you gotta, we got to often watch, am I manipulating the situation? Because if I am, it's a good chance that I'm operating under a spirit of desperation. Right. Right. Or I can simply put it like this. Desperation is the pursuit of God's blessings in an ungodly way. That's what it is. So I've promised you a child. And because you're not seeing the result through my method or my way, you're going to do it your way. And if it's not God's way, it is an ungodly godly way and that's what Sarai is doing well I have a servant um, let me write this out I got a servant he can sleep with her the Lord unclosed my womb his stuff working he can sleep where I gotta wake y'all up he can sleep with her and bam that'd be my baby my baby someone say my baby but that ain't how it work girl ain't gonna give you her baby. Her baby. <laughs> the mother of our faith. Mother. Have y'all ever thought about this? Do y'all do y'all read this stuff? This stuff is it blows my mind. It's like, what was she thinking? But 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 I beg not to judge because many of us would probably do the same thing because of the value that having a child was placed on a woman in this time. So I don't necessarily judge her, but it's kind of wild. <laughs> Paul said this in Galatians five. He said, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, I want us to identify what Abram and and Sarai may be operating under as they're operating in their sinful nature. It says this here. It says um, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. Sorcery is manipulation. It's not a, a... a green-faced lady with a long nose and a pimple on her nose with a black hat and a black pot and a black cat. You know, sorcery is manipulation. And Moses said in the law, permit not a sorcerer to live. So God, through Moses, said, kill sorcerers. So this is manipulation. It says this here, hostility. We see that get her out of the house. Quarreling uh, uh, as her belly is growing, they're kind of nonverbal cues that they're throwing at each other. There's some mess going on in the house. Jealousy, outburst of anger. This is your fault, right? 
we'll see who's right. Selfish ambition. Well, if we do this, we can have the kid through her and the kid to be ours, right? Dissension, division, get her out of here, right? Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit. Someone say inherit. Inherit. The things of God. So if I'm oppressed by a spirit of desperation, that ain't a good plan either. Because the Bible just said you won't get what God has for you when you're desperate. Number two, the second part of the thread is this, Abram's disobedience. So Sarai's desperation influenced Abram's disobedience. Sometimes the people close, closest to you, sometimes the people you love the most, when they're under abundance, when, when they're under pressure, they can be the ones that are influencing you to veer off from the Lord. Sometimes it's mom, dad. Sometimes it's husband, wife. Sometimes it's best friend. Sometimes it's sibling. You really got to watch that because they don't intend to, but we don't see him in the story. But you better believe that he's been there since Genesis 3, that the devil often operates and uses the people closest to us, oftentimes people of faith, to get us to disobey God for but a moment. So it says this here, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant and she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Now, back in the time, back in this time, it was culturally acceptable, culturally acceptable to have multiple wives. But when God became flesh, Jesus himself said this, um, one man and one woman and let nothing or no one put them asunder. So God's design has been always one man and one woman. When we are in disobedience, often what we do is we begin to prioritize the culture, the values of the world, the ways of the world, the thinking of the world over kingdom. So it's culturally acceptable to have another wife and to have more children. But in God, let me me encourage you with something. (laughs) Just because it's in the Bible, it does not mean that God was okay with it. God used it, but it doesn't mean he was okay with it. So we got to watch the YouTube and the TikTok and the Fox and the CNN and the whatever it is that you often, that we often attach our hearts and our minds to whenever we feel like God is taking too long. Because that's the problem. Like, God, I've been following you. I done read the Genesis 12 through 25, like Pastor said. I did the fast. I'm a flourishing woman. I went to men's night. I'll kill Goliath right now if I see him. I've been killing Goliath every day with his promise. And God's like, and you're like, okay. You too. Right? A lot of times we prioritize culture 
over kingdom. The problem with that is when you, when you follow culture, you are obeying culture. Because the word obey simply means to follow. And there's no way you can follow culture and obey God at the same time. So he's operating in disobedience. Um, I've never been hijacked in my life, and I pray I never am. If you've ever been hijacked, I'm glad you're here. Praise the Lord, you're alive. Um, Yeah, but I have been burglarized before. And so I remember I was like eight or nine years old. Well, I didn't own anything, but we came home, and uh, the door had been kicked in. I mean, they ramshacked everything, the living room, and my, my PlayStation, my, every, everything, everything was gone. And it was devastating. And, um, you know, when someone takes something from you, you feel vulnerable. You're hurt, right? But on another level, I have known people who have been hijacked. And, and hijack is to really take something in someone's presence by force. And if you know anything about God, you know that God is omnipresent. Yeah. So he's always with you. Even when you feel he's taking too long, right. he's like right there. Chris, you know where I'm going with this. He's like right there. So whenever we disobey, it's like, God, I'm going to take the will wow. and the timing away from you. Wow. Mm. And I'm going to put it in my lap. I'm going to do what I want right. with your will wow. in your timing. It's like we hijack God. Like, God, give, give me the promise. <laughs> God's like, do your thing, bro. Do it quickly. And that's what, that's what disobedience is. We take it out of God's hands, out of his time, and, and, and we do it ourselves. But there's something that, uh, listen, I wouldn't be your pastor. I wouldn't be your pastor, Wesley, if we didn't talk about this. Right? Faith night, y'all remember, that's impossible. It's already yours. By faith, men's night, encouragement, kill Goliath, you ain't going to die. Recognize there's a solution in every problem. But I ain't going to be, I can't be your pastor if I don't talk about a little sin. A little sinny sin, right? Got to talk about sin. Because here's the reality. There are always consequences for disobedience. That's what we see in the text. (sighs) Mm. And I'm not talking to you. I'm... (laughs) Lord knows, I, I was with this, this chapter all week, and God's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. just conviction, just drawing me to him as I evaluated certain parts of my life, recognizing, man, I, I've been disobedient here. I've been disobedient here. Your pastor has been disobedient. And I'm not talking about black and white stuff like sleeping with Hagar. No, we ain't doing that. that that's ridiculous. That's like, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's crazy. That's like the highest degree stuff. Like you losing everything. Like I'm having too much fun. I ain't, life is good. I ain't, no, I'm talking about like little crap, like nonverbal crap, yeah. a little manipulation here and there, a little God, you're taking a little too long, so I'm going to do it my way there. And you know what I mean? Like, so he's showing me all, all these things and all these consequences that I keep experiencing because past disobedience. And maybe that disobedience was a week ago, but I'm feeling the weight of it this week. 
You know what I mean? And so one big thing about this moment or this season in history is that the consequence of it lives and it is very active to this very day. It is the reason why in the Middle East we have Muslims and Jews and Christians always bumping heads because of these this activity that, that occurred between Hagar, Abram, and Sarai. As a matter of fact, God said this about Ishmael in Genesis 16, 12, talking about Ishmael, this son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all Someone say all, all of his relatives. History believes that Ishmael is the progenitor of the Islamic faith. And so hence, y'all, you know, we hear about religious wars. This is where it all hinges on this very moment. So what, for a few minutes of pleasure? For a little desperation? And now we have millennia of deaths, bloodshed. There's always consequences for disobedience. And, and we need to feel the gravity of that a little bit. I, I think we, we come to church, we get cute, we dress up, we, we, we sing the songs, but are we really walking this thing out? Yeah. Are, are we really living it even when no one's watching? And like I said, I'm talking to myself too. Um, but also it says this here, Galatians 6, 7, do not deceive yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. <laughs> he, you will reap exactly what you plant. I try fast. You will reap exactly what you plant. So it's essential that I begin to think about, is this lie worth telling? Right. Come on. You know, or should I sow some encouragement? Because if I sow a lie, I'm going to reap dysfunction. If I sow encouragement, I'm going to reap encouragement. If I sow honesty, I'll reap peace. If I sow forgiveness, I'll reap forgiveness. If I sow bitterness, I'm going to reap a bitter life. God won't be mocked. God's like, all right, you got me. I'll get it back. You catch that? You got me. I'll get it back. So we, we really got to we got to think about this. We got to think about I, I, I go as far as to saying your taxes. No line on your taxes. I, I, I'm serious because God is watching. Number three in the threat, we see God's timing. God's timing. I was going to end this up. I'm like, all right, Lord, we don't beat them up enough. Let's end it up. I'm at the kitchen table last night like, God said, nope, change that point. Third point is God's timing. Because what's the title? God is taking too long, right? So don't end it up with a, a point that has nothing to do with the story. Just because you want to encourage the people, he said, I want this to be a reflective message. So we're going to end up, but we're going to end up with truth. Someone say God's timing. I need you to, I need you to catch me now. Okay, okay, this is so good. I mean, it's so good. Like he gave it to me in like five minutes. I'm like, but how do I say this? It's so good. All right, here it is. All right, so this is the last verse of chapter 16. Then we're going to jump to the first verse of chapter 17. I need you to catch something. Okay, here it is. Chapter 16, verse 16. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Chapter 17, 
when Abram was 99 years old. That happened at the 832. Wow. People are like, whoa. What? That's what I'm saying. What, what happened? How did we jump in one verse? 13 years. Let me put you up on something when you study the Bible. God doesn't mention numbers a lot, a lot. I mean, he does have an entire book on it. But he doesn't mention numbers a lot, a lot. But when he does, this is why he has a book on it. It's very important. So we have five times when we hear about the age of Abram. All right, Gen- uh, Genesis 12, when he's 75 years old. Genesis 16, uh, when he's 86. Genesis 17, he's 99. We'll hear in a few, uh, a few chapters next week, he's going to be 100. Isaac is born. And then we're going to hear about him again, uh, I think, uh, when he dies at uh, uh, 175 years old. So we hear about his age five times. Five is the number of grace. That simply means that God has given him unmerited favor. That means that God is going to do it in his life. No matter what Abraham does, God has promised that he's going to fulfill the promise in your life, in Abraham's life. So it's grace. Someone say grace. Grace. Wonderful. So now let's get back to this. All right. So he's 99 years old and it says this here. I am, pull it up verse 1, Genesis 17. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. This means, Almighty means this, that I can do what I want when I want. Because y'all remember last week or a few weeks ago, whenever that was, life has been kicking my butt. I don't even know. When did we talk about Melchizedek? Was that last week? Two weeks ago. You remember that? It was El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. So God is now saying, I am El, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. I can do what I want when I want. 13 years after Ishmael was born, he says this. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Verse 2, I'll make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. So we see here in 17 that integrity matters to God. Let's do some math. Genesis 12, I give you the original promise. You're 75 years old. Genesis 17, I visit you again, and I guarantee at 99 that I'm going to do this. And guess what? The very next year, Isaac is born. All right, let's do some math. 99 minus 75 is what? 24. All right. What happens in the middle of those 24 years? Ishmael is born. What's half of 24? 12. So I had to wait nearly 12 years. And this is what I believe. I can't prove it, but this is what I believe. God is going to prove it in heaven when we get there. He's going to say, Joshua, stand up. You was right about that. All right. So this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I'm going to be like, yeah, y'all told y'all. Hey. Get my little one moment of fame in heaven. But this is what I believe. I believe this. I believe had... Sarai dealt with her uh, desperation and had Abram dealt with his disobedience. I believe a year later, God would have came and spoke to them about Isaac. And I think they would have gave birth to Isaac. But because of a season of desperation and disobedience, they had to double their wait time. Twenty-four. 
12 years? 12 years. 75, 99. You have to understand this stuff. So the Lord wanted me to tell you this, that desperation and disobedience equals delay. And it's okay to feel that. You don't have to feel bad about that. It's, it's truth. <laughs> Just It's truth. It, it's reflective. And, and some of us are currently living in a delay because of a past season of desperation and disobedience. And so how do you sum this up? What does this mean, Pastor? This simply means because, number one, he did not chastise Hagar. Okay? Nor did he remove the promise. This is his grace. I was going to end it with God's grace. I'm sneaking it in anyway, Lord. This is the grace part. Nor did he remove the promise from Sarai and Abram. But I need you to understand this, that the promise is permanent, but the timing is personal. The timing is personal. God says, I'm ready. But I'm waiting on you. This is why he came in in Genesis 17 and he said what? Live faithfully and blameless. Because that has always mattered. If I'm going to bless you greatly, I need you to live with integrity. Not be perfect. But it was in that season years ago when your wife came to you, Abram where your trust should have kicked in and your value system should have kicked in. And you should, should have said, babe, we're not doing that. And I believe with all my heart, he'll reveal it when we get to heaven. I believe with all my heart, Isaac would have been born that next year. So let's just reflect on that. If you've been encouraged, can you put your hands together for the word of God?